Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. Bibles, let's go to the Word of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 and verse number 7, and uh, if you would, wouldn't mind standing for the Word of God, then we will go after Hebrews to 1 Peter chapter 3, Hebrews 11 and 7. The Word of God says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Uh, God spoke to him about something that they hadn't seen before. Apparently, uh, there had been no flood and possibly no rain before uh, Noah's time. Being warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Amen. He prepared an ark for the saving of his family. Amen. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, 18 to 21. Amen. I'm not preaching about this because of all this rain that we've had. Although it did kind of trigger some thoughts of what it would have been like. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. That's us. We're the unjust. He's the just. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the prisons, the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. They were saved through water. And then he explains it in verse 21. There is also an antitype. There is a similitude or something similar which now saves us. And then he says baptism. The same way that the flood saved Noah and his family from the wickedness of the world, baptism does now also save us. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, just in case you thought it was just about having a bath giving you a loofer and some soap and wash your skin. This is not that, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Peter 2 and 5 says, And he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. I want to talk to you today. On this thought, continuing our series on a city on a hill, salvation for all to see. 
salvation for all to see. Let us lift up our voices in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence, your power that's here already. We thank you that you've already touched our lives, that we've already been in communion with you, Lord God. Once again, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, give us wisdom and understanding. Give us your knowledge and truth, Lord God, I pray. As you anoint your people, anoint your servant. We think of Sister Sandra today. Lord, I pray that you visit with her in the hospital with healing power to recover her and make her whole. In Jesus' name, right now we ask you, Lord, that healing virtue flow upon your handmaiden. Recover her now. Lord, have your way in this house. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you clap your hands one more time and thank the Lord? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You know, living in southwest Sydney this week uh, did trigger some thoughts about this, what this cataclysmic event that happened in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, what that would have been like all of those years ago. I lived literally a stone's throw from George's River. And uh, there were some parts there that uh, were, were flooded. And of course, we, we think of those that have been adversely affected. One of my friends, actually, I used to work with, he lives up in the uh, uh, Central Coast. And he's, he, he put this post on, on social media. And he said, um, it's not every day that you can say you've paddled from the inside of your garage to the lake. <clears throat> As a friend of mine, he's, uh, and he posted some pictures. Uh, but this, this story of, of Noah, and, and we can find reassurance in the fact that God said that he will no longer flood the earth again globally. Uh, but he never said that you wouldn't have any localized floods, but certainly there would be no more global flood to destroy all of mankind. This is perhaps one of the most difficult issues that confronts us is the story of Noah in that what many non-believers point out as the seeming cruelty of God that God is mean and cruel to wipe out this entire planet except for one, one small family. This is an idea, I admit, that is difficult to grapple with and one of the, difficult, the most difficult issues that we can talk to unbelievers about. That if God was so good, why does he do this evil thing? In fact, it has even... Uh, brought the ire of, of modern intellectuals today, such as the new atheists like Richard Dawkins, who wrote The God Delusion. And he said this irreverently. And, and I'm just going to quote what he said, and don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but this is what he said. He said, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, 
I'm almost speaking in tongues here. Capriciously malevolent bully. And he says that with an air of arrogance and self-righteousness. And if you, even as intelligent as he is, if you look only at a surface perspective of what happens in the Bible, then uh, you, you can certainly come to that conclusion. But if you look at it more deeply, you will come to understand something about God. That if God is who he says he is, then uh, he is the standard by which all righteousness and morality ends. People like Richard Dawkins begins to judge God as something that is evil and base but we are reduced to the question of who gave, who gave Richard Dawkins the right to make that judgment upon God. Richard Dawkins ultimately is, is pointing to a standard that is beyond himself to say something was not good. And so... He is appealing to a standard, but in his case, the standard is himself. He is judging God. But we all understand that the judgment, true justice, perfect justice, is not based upon individual thought. Because if we, it was all based on us, then we would all be killing other people and we would stand justified. But we all understand that there is still an absolute morality. We all know that there is an absolute right and there is an absolute wrong. And there is a standard that we have to appeal to that, that transcends all of humanity, that transcends all of us. Uh, I'm not trying to get too deep here this morning, but, but I simply want to remind you that what happened with the flood when God saw the wickedness of the world and he decided upon that time that he would bring judgment upon the world. It's because first and foremost, he is the only one who has the perfect righteousness and justice to be able to impose judgment not just in the afterlife, but if he so wishes to do so, he can pronounce judgment in this life. Amen. And, and let me just read to you from the book of Genesis chapter 6, and verse number 3, to, to explain to you what I mean. He says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, Yet his days shall be 120 years. Then the Lord saw, verse number 5, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He pronounced judgment right there upon that world because he saw what was in the heart of people in the time of Noah that it was evil continually, that there was only wickedness and violence in their hearts. And if anybody knows whether somebody has the capacity to change or not, it is God. 
and he saw their hearts and recognized that they had no capacity or ability to change. Amen. We don't have the right to do that. Uh, we don't have the right to, to write somebody off and say they, they're no hope. You know, we've said that about folks sometimes. Oh, I, uh, they're no hope. They're, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way they're ever going to change. Amen. Maybe some, of, some people said that about you. Amen. But you're here today. But only God is the one who knows whether somebody has the capacity to, to repent and to change. And so God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made him. He was sorry that he had made man, that every single one of them would be judged and will be destroyed. But, but there's a problem here. This would mean that this would spell the end of God's most prized creation, mankind. Until you get to verse number 8, and we see that, we see that wonderful verse, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. The whole world was doomed for destruction because they were beyond repentance. They were reprobate, as the New Testament would call it. They were beyond change. But there was a family. There was one man and his family that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this brings to us another question. Why is it that it was only Noah that found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Have you ever asked that? Why is it that it was only this man and his family that found grace in the eyes of the Lord? And the answer is usually found in Scripture and in the nearest context, which is the very next verse. It says in verse 9 of Genesis 6, this is... The genealogy of Noah, Noah was a just man. There it is. He was perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Noah found grace because he was a just man, perfect or whole in his generation. He was a man of integrity, and he walked with God. And, and these characteristics are what God saw in Noah that he found grace. He saw within this man a, a willingness, an ability, a teachable spirit and heart that somehow he had the capacity to do right. He wasn't perfect in the sense that he never committed sin, but there was a heart within him that was willing to be obedient to the voice of God. Amen. This we we don't really know, and this is something we may never know on this side of heaven. Why is it, brothers and sisters, that one person's heart is open to hearing the word of God and why another's is closed? Have you ever wondered that? Why are you here today? And why are others refusing to darken the church doors? I don't know why it is. I don't have the answer, but... But I, I don't know why God has somehow had mercy on us that poured out his grace upon us. I don't know why it is that we are here today and there is at some point in our lives there was an openness in there. There was a guilt in there that somehow we turned to God. 
Amen. I just thank God because there are, you know people here today. You know people out there today who would not even give you one second of their time to listen to the gospel. Amen. I don't know why it is that a person's heart would become so closed that they would be so shut in with their arrogance and with their pride. But can I tell you, if there is within you, if you're hearing uh, this message today, I don't know if you're here or online, but if you are hearing this message here today, do not harden your hearts. Don't close the door to your spirit. Don't allow pride to sit upon the throne of your heart. But if you are willing to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, I'm telling you there's a grace that can be poured out upon your life. The grace of God is available to you. Oh, hallelujah. I wish I could tell you why one person is open to the gospel and another is not, but I don't know. But what I do know is that if you are here today, I do know is that you have the power in your will, in your own mind to either close the door to God or you have the power to open it up and say, God, speak to me. Here I am. Here am I, Lord. Your servant is listening. Oh, hallelujah. Can I tell you, with all the power of the God has, with all of his majesty and glory, with all of his wonder that he can perform in your life, God cannot do anything with a heart that's closed, with a spirit that's filled with pride. Pride comes before destruction. God resisted the proud. But if you are willing to humble yourself, if you're willing to say, God, I don't know, but I trust in you, I believe even you the bible says that god is able to raise you up oh hallelujah when noah had no reason to believe the bible says and you know the text that we read that he believed god he believed him to the extent that he would prepare amen you you can argue all you want to like like the new atheist and, and simply close your heart and your mind as intelligent as people may be you may have a high iq you may have an iq over 120 but let me remind you there's a difference between intellect and wisdom you can have all the degrees and thank god for education but listen to me the bible says that they are ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth can i appeal to somebody right now regardless of how great your education your attainment and career that's wonderful thank god but don't let your heart be closed then don't let your spirit be clamped up and be filled with arrogance hallelujah he simply believed Praise God. Faith is so powerful. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And the reason why he's a fool because he's made this declaration that there's no God without proper investigation. Simply because mankind, as according to scripture, loves sin and has suppressed this innate inward inbuilt knowledge of God Romans chapter 1 and the Bible tells us that he prepared the ark 
to the saving of his household. After he was divinely warned, believing God by faith. Amen. Salvation begins with the grace of God. Noah found grace, and regardless of how upright and how just he was, he was never going to be good enough to earn salvation. It was purely by God's grace. And let me remind you of that. We're sitting here today, and we find salvation because of God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8, For by grace are you saved. But then it says, through faith. It's not grace alone that saves. There's some who say grace alone, but it's not. It's grace through faith. Because if it's grace alone, then everybody's going to go to heaven. Then you don't have to believe. Then you just, when you die, you automatically get there, regardless of, of who you are and what you've done, even if you're an evildoer who hates God. You could be a mass murderer, a rapist, a, a, a drug dealer, all of these kinds of people. And, and if it's just grace alone, then everybody's going to go to heaven. But if that's the case, then God ceases to be a just God. There's no justice. What do you think about a society, a world where your loved one is murdered and the murderer gets away? And it's, no, it's not brought to account, it's not punished or judged. It would be an unjust society. If that were the case, we would live in anarchy. We would live in chaos. We would live in a world that is like Mad Max, you know, the Wild West, where we would just be uh, killing one another. If there is no justice, there would be an emptiness and there would be no truth. But there is justice according to God. Amen. He gives us grace, but it's grace through faith. In other words, grace does not, is not imposed automatically on individuals, but an individual must decide, must choose by faith to receive God's grace. You are saved through faith. By grace, you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. And if anybody gives you a gift, you've you got to take it. You know, it's not, I mean, if it's one of those gifts that you don't really like, you know, you can always put your hands behind your back. You know, it's one of those what they call a re-gift. You say, well, you know, somebody's handing you a gift. You don't put your hands in your back and say, no, I don't want it. And they're trying to shove it in your chest and say, here, take it. Now, it's, you've got to receive it. If somebody gives a gift, there has to be a reception. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. I'm just doing a quick Bible study here today. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified, here it is, freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation, that, that, that means an atonement, somebody who, who took our place, who sacrificed so that we could be made right by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate, watch this, verse number 26, at the present time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
Amen. In other words, God came into this world because of his grace. He enrobed himself in a human body, in flesh. He impregnated a virgin womb, was born. And on that day and that time, he gave his life, surrendered his life upon the cross. He shed his blood for us to justify us to make us just and righteous because we were just like the people of the, the days of Noah. We were living in sin and our sin separated us from God. We were unjust. We were wicked. We were sinful. But because of Jesus going to the cross, shedding his blood for us, dying, the one who was perfectly just and did not deserve to die, he paid, he became the propitiation or the atonement or the payment for our sins so that we now, when we come by faith to God, we can receive his grace of forgiveness and be justified and made righteous before God. Hallelujah. I think we ought to thank the Lord for what he has done for us. He gave his life. He shed his blood so that we can be made righteous, so that we can stand before God and be pure and just in his sight, and we can attain unto everlasting life. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. If you're hearing this message today, it's Jesus, what he did, his grace that paid it all for us, that we can live a holy life, that we can walk in truth and righteousness, that we can be made free from the bondage of sin. And all oh, when our life on earth is through, we have our eternal reward that waits for us. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Thank God for the cross of Calvary. And God, for his shed blood that was shed for you and I. And the Bible says that it was his blood that purchased us, that bought us from the pawn shop of hell, if you will, and has set us free. And thus we are justified. Somebody said justified can also sound like just as if we'd never sinned. Justified, made righteous. Amen. And so he, he tells Noah, he says he's found grace. And so here's what you're going to do, Noah. You're going to build an ark to the saving of your household. And, and Noah could have simply argued with him, well, why do I need to do that? I'm already saved by grace. I've been, you know, I've, you, you've given me grace. I've found grace in your sight. Why do I need to build an ark? Uh, he says, yeah, I've given you grace, but the means of my grace is by giving you these specifications to build an ark so that you can be saved from the flood. You are not saved by grace alone, but grace gives to you a means by which you can be saved. It gives us access, and so he tells them, he gets into some specific details in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 14. He says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. I, I kind of felt like that this week. <laughs> I was patching up leaks in the house. And, and if I didn't have any lime or pitch, but uh, I, I felt like uh, I felt like some parts of the house was gopher wood. I don't know. In verse 15, he says, this is how you shall make it. 
The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window. This is God speaking now. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower. And can, can you see the detail in God's instruction? His grace gave the instructions for Noah to be saved. And Noah could have said, well, you know, uh, God, I, you know, I don't want to be bad on the environment, so maybe I'll just skimp on the wood. I'll, instead of 300 cubits, maybe I'll just make it 150. <laughs> God gave him some specifics. He didn't say, oh, just, you know, build a boat. <laughs> He, he gave you the length, the width, the height. You're going to make it with a window so far. You're going to put a door, side, side door. You're going to make rooms. He gave him specific details. What would have happened if Noah decided to disobey the specifications? Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just aim for whatever. We'll do whatever it takes. But no, he gave him specifics. And I remember re reading about this experiment in, university, in a university in the United States where some students decided that they would try this experiment. And, and of course, the difficulty with that is that nobody really knows how long a cubit is, these biblical measurements. You know, we know how long a meter is, but a cubit is, is kind of somewhat uh, uncertain. But, but they, they guessed a cubit is the, this, from the fingertip to your elbow. That's a cubit. And so they built these scale to scale models of an arc, a little model arc, they made three versions of them. One was smaller to 150 cubits, the other one to 300 cubits scaled, and the other one to 500 cubits. So they put the, the small one in, the, in this big tank of water and they simulated the waves of an ocean that would be experiencing a massive storm. And that, 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 that scaled arc that was built for 150 cubits after a while, when the waves came, it began to sink. So they put the one with the 500 cubits in there, and, and they put that in that same water tank. And again, the, when the waves came, that big one, the 500 cubit, broke apart, and it sunk. And then they put the one that's 300 cubit to scale. And guess what happened? It floated. It worked. Amen. You know why? Because God knew what he was doing. Amen. Can I tell you that even though God gives us grace, he also gives us the means by which we can access grace, and it is specific. Yes, he shed his blood. He's the one that made it all possible. But can I tell you there's a way that we can access grace through faith? Here it is. Okay, I, I'm out of time. I've got to give this real quickly. Jesus himself gave us specifications. Watch this. Matthew 26, verse 28. In Mark 16, 16, the Bible says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that doesn't believe shall be damned. you got to have faith. Amen. Can I tell you, faith is so powerful. Amen. You say, well, yeah, I believe in a lot of things. But listen to me. If you have faith in God's word, like, like Noah had faith in God's word that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. If you believe in God's word, I promise you something powerful will begin to take place. Come on now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Don't underestimate the power of your faith. Don't discount it. But if you can believe in the midst of the storm and the trial, if you can believe when the whole world says there's no reason to believe, but if you hear God's voice and there is within your spirit of faith to say, yes, Lord, I believe. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, you can walk in the victory. You will have access to the grace and the power of God. Is there any believers in the house? Is there anybody here that has faith, that believes his word? Oh, hallelujah. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. i got to hurry. Matthew 26 and 28, here it is. For thus, for this is my blood, Jesus said, of the New Testament. He was uh, doing the, the Lord's Supper with, we, he was uh, observing the Lord's Supper with his, with what we call the Lord's Supper with his disciples, which is, he said, is now shed for many for the remission of sins. He said his blood, which is shed, is for the remission of sins. So what removes your sins? It's the blood of Jesus. And then he says in Luke chapter 24, verse number 47. Here it is. He says, and that repentance and remission of sins. So you've got to have faith. You've got to repent. Amen. This, we said, well, don't get too specific now. Well, remember what God said to Noah. Here's the specifications of the ark. If you don't follow it, I don't know. It's not going to work. He's a God of specifics. Yes. Then he says, repentance and remission or removal of sin should be preached in, watch this, his name. What's that name? Jesus. In his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Praise God. Repentance, he says, remission of sins is in his blood. And then he says in Luke, the remission of sins is in his name. So which is it? Is this a contradiction in terms? Is this, is this not coming together? Is it, is it in his name or is it in his blood? Which is it? Well, guess what? The Bible doesn't contradict itself. So it mustn't be a contradiction. It must be both in his name and in his blood. That's why when the, the early church in the book of Acts, when they baptized people, they baptized them, and when they did, they called out a name. <laughs> that name wasn't the, the, the candidate's name. The name was Jesus Christ. Amen. Why? Because the blood is tied up in the name of Jesus. That's why when you say the name of Jesus, it enacts the power of his shed blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. When you get baptized in water, it doesn't turn red. Like in the River Nile in the time of Moses, you don't see the blood. But by faith, when we call out the name of Jesus Christ, it enacts, it releases the power of his blood that was shed 2,000 years ago go to wash away and remit your sins 
Oh, hallelujah. That's why if the devil comes attacking you, you rebuke him in Jesus' name. We pray for our food in Jesus' name. We lay hands on the sick. Why? Because the power of the blood is released when you call out the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Okay, I think you don't believe me. I better show you some scripture. We're not, I'm not making this up. First Peter, he talks about how this, the flood was, was a, a, a type of baptism. And he says, it doesn't say that the ark saved them. You would think automatically, we would naturally think that it was the ark that he created that would save them. No, it says that it was, he was saved by water. There it is, verse number 20. The few, that is eight souls, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives were saved not through the ark, but through water. Why through water? Because it was water that destroyed the wickedness of this world. It was water that washed away wickedness. And he said baptism is the same thing. It says in verse 21, this is also an antitype. This is New King James, which now saves us. Baptism. Don't let anybody tell you that baptism is not necessary for salvation. This is one of the biggest insidious lies in nominal Christianity today, that somehow you don't, baptism is not essential for salvation. Well, if it's not essential, why do it? What's the point? Well, you know, because it's something that the church does. It's some observance, an ordinance that we could follow. It's, if it's not essential, then you don't need to get baptized. Then let's just, let's, Brother George, can you remove those bricks and let's move the baptistry? Let's, let's put more seating there instead. If it's not essential, then why do it? He says, wherein does baptism now save us? It is essential. He says, well, you're all, all you're focusing on is works. You're all you're focusing on is... No, remember I talked to you already. It's by the blood of Jesus. What he did on the cross, his grace is what paid the penalty. It's what enables us to get baptized and something happening in baptism. If he never went to the cross, going in that water is meaningless. You'd never have your sins removed. But because of what Jesus did, and now because we have faith like Noah, we are going to start to build the ark. And it's when the flood comes, it's going to wash away the, the, the wickedness of this world, the sins of this world. And when we get baptized, it will wash away every sin. I, I, I've got to stop. This is Baptism Sunday, so I could talk about baptism all day. Musicians, why don't you come? I've got, we got another service to go. I wish I had time. Noah, and, and here's a lot of what people think, well, God was so cruel to destroy the world. When God called Noah, you know how long it took to build the ark? 120 years, if you read the, the biblical account. 120 years he was building. And as the ark was getting bigger and bigger, that structure began to take its completion. That meant it was coming closer to the, to, to the judgment of God. And so for 120 years, this, this huge colossal structure that stood in the front lawn of Noah became like a city on a hill. It was something that could not be hidden. I'm sure he started off in his garage. Maybe he had a hanger, you know, like a, an airplane hanger. But eventually, 
He would have had to be out in the open. And the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So while he was building the ark, he was preaching to the people, telling them, they said, hey, Noah, what are you building this structure for? He said, oh, God's bringing judgment. You need to come into the ark because when judgment comes, he's going to flood the earth. Remember, he says, he, he listened to a voice of God that told him about things that had not yet been seen. There's no, record, there's no record of rain ever falling before Noah on the earth. It just simply said that in the book of Genesis, the, the mist watered the ground. So Noah is building the ark. He's preaching to the community around and the people telling him water's going to come from the sky and flood the earth. And then they're standing on dry terra firma thinking, yeah, yeah, Noah, whatever. Pull the other one. Yeah, sure. He said, no, it's coming. And maybe you felt the same way when you tried to tell people Jesus is coming back. He's coming in the sky. And they look at you like you've lost your mind. Yeah, yeah, right. Whatever, dude. But salvation is something for all to see. It's not just for us to be saved. It's for us to build the ark, a city on a hill that everyone will see. That's why if you're getting baptized, you ought to invite every person that you know. Come and see me get baptized. Because Jesus is coming back. And then when you get the chance, you let him know. You too can come into the ark and be saved. I don't know if this Russian-Ukraine war is, is, is Armageddon. I don't think so. It's probably it's just the beginning. But it's a reminder to us. It's a reminder it's coming. And I'm not saying that to scare anybody. It's in the Bible. I'm saying that to say we've got to keep building the ark. God waited 120 years before he pronounced that judgment, before he flooded the earth, so that mankind would have at least the opportunity, even though he knew he gave them an opportunity. Maybe today's your opportunity to be born again. So here it is. Now let me finish the last scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The very first message of salvation that was preached by the church Acts 2.38 his word says not 8 2 and 38 then Peter said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ why are you always emphasizing that because this is our part to do you don't have to have the deepest theological understanding of what the atonement and propitiation. Oh, know that Jesus died for our sins. But here's what you have to do. You've got to repent, change your mind, believe, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. There it is. There's the blood. There's the, it's in the name of Jesus Christ to remit your sins. And then watch this. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, what a wonderful gift. What an amazing gift. Acts chapter 8, sister, thank you. Now we can go to Acts chapter 8. Here it is. And you see this all throughout Scripture. Acts chapter 8. And as they went their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? What's stopping me from getting baptized? Nothing. You can be baptized today. We've got water. It's warm. Oh, that was just for that time. That was just for the Bible. 
I, that was just for the Jews. He was an Ethiopian. Next, chapter 10, verse 44. Here it is. Peter goes to the Gentiles, non-Jews. You see a pattern here? There's a pattern here. While, while Peter was yet speaking these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jews which believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter. They were amazed. Why were they so amazed? Because that on the Gentiles, the non-Jews also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. They said, oh gee, well, I, I thought this was just for Jews. I thought this was just for the children of Israel. No, it's for, it's for Greeks, it's for Fijians, it's for Filipinos, it's for Brazilians, it's for Kiwis, it's for Tongans, it's for Samoans. It, uh, it's, not, it's not all nations yet, I'm sorry. It's for everybody, whosoever will. How did they know they got the Holy Spirit? How did they know they received it? It says in verse 46, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how you know you got the Holy Ghost. There is an outward sign. It's when you speak a language that you don't understand. So now they got the Holy Ghost. Watch this, verse 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well? They got the Holy Ghost before they got baptized. You can, that can happen. That's what happened to me. I got the Holy Ghost before I got baptized. But then he says, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. What's the name of the Lord? Jesus, the blood. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. He didn't just say, hey, listen, if you want to, I know you got the Holy Ghost. If you want to, you can. No, he commanded them. In 2022, oh, you don't dare command people. You suggest. You very, no, he, there, there was no political correctness back in those days. He commanded them. He said, now that God has given you the Holy Ghost, you have no right to hold on to your sin, but get in the water, wash away your sin. If you've had the Holy Ghost and you've never been baptized, I've got a biblical mandate to command you to be baptized in the blood, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And he commanded them to tarry certain days. Praise God. Okay, last verse. I promise. I know, I know you got morning tea, but we got a baptism service. Let's all stand. In the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 19, verse number one. Musicians come up here. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Paul came to. Corinth and having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus finding certain disciples of John the Baptist. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? That question is still relevant today. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So I've been a believer all my life. Well, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, unto what then were you baptized? He said, unto John's baptism. Paul said, verily, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's the name again, that name. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came upon them. There it is again. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Hallelujah. If you've never experienced the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can experience it today.
you can receive this wonderful gift. Or if you've not repented of your sins and availed yourself of God's love and believing Him for what He has done for you, today is our day. Right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, and your voice lifted up to God. In the name of Jesus, Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your shed blood, Lord God, that has paid for our sins, that has ensured that we inherit eternal life. Lord God, today we thank you, Lord. We believe in you. We believe your promises. We receive your grace by faith today. And Lord God, we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is part of your grace being poured out upon the lives of people. We repent of our sins today. We bring our life before you and ask you once again to fill us and to touch us, to make us whole and make us new. As we step into the waters of baptism today, in the name of Jesus, we receive it by faith. Hallelujah. I want to invite you to come out of your seats right now. If you'd like to pray, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of acknowledgement of faith to say, Lord, I believe you. And if you want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, why don't you come to the front right here? We can give you this. We can pray for you. We can't give it to you. It's God that gives it to you. But if you so desire, if you have not received this experience, I invite you to step out from your seats and come to this altar and begin to pray begin to call and ask him and to receive he's pouring out the gift right now he's giving out this gift to all who would so believe why don't you come this altar is open as as we prepare for our baptisms today i want to spend a few moments in prayer hallelujah in the name of jesus this altar is open why don't you come Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 